Welcome to It's Your Call, a podcast about discerning ministry. I'm Andrew Richardson, the Minister for the Office of Vocation in the Atlantic area. And I'm Karen Medland, Minister for the Office of Vocation and the Prairies in Northern Alberta. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you joined us today. And today we're going to uh, share a little about our own journeys into ministry. If, uh, Karen and I can remember back that far and uh, give some teasers for our upcoming podcast. So I guess this week it's over to us, Andrew, for It's Your Call. So let's hope someone picks up the phone on us. So Karen, let's um, start at the very beginning. Let's start with uh, why we're doing this podcast in the first place. I think it's a great question, Andrew, for us to help people understand what we're up to or trying to do. This started, I don't know if you remember, we were having a conversation yourself uh, me and the other Office of Vocation Ministers and some of the what we call lead team members. So just let you all know, folks, there'll be some jargon that we'll use uh, in this podcast. And over the series of this podcast, you're going to get to learn what the that jargon is all about. But the lead team is basically those of us who work at the National Office who look after Office of Vocation and Pastoral Relations. Anyway, in this conversation we were having, Andrew, I uh, don't know if you remember, we were talking about some of the videos and the webinars and the whiteboard videos that we had been using since the Office of Vocation was launched in 2019. And they were in some need of some update. We had some improvements to policy, some refinements, and some staff changes that needed to be corrected in those webinars and podcasts or sorry webinars and videos so in that conversation i i suggested or threw in the idea of why don't we do a podcast and it was a good idea oh, thank you so here Which, we are uh, and yeah. I, I like the idea of a podcast karen because um watching a video and um or a whiteboard uh, can provide us with information but it's it's one way and it's static and it's com it's not conversational enough and so my hope is that as we uh, move through the podcast as we start to that we'll we'll talk to some interesting people about uh, what is what is their call to ministry and how do you know you have a call to ministry and what do you do when you feel like you have a call to ministry and I and I our hope I guess uh, is that that will. Um, let's give us another more personal avenue for talking about this important uh, topic. I think that's right. It's just another avenue, another channel of information. But I think it's important that what we're going to be able to do is actually have such a variety of people and such a variety in the conversation that will spark some interest that maybe doesn't happen in the webinars or doesn't happen in the, the whiteboard videos. Yeah, so this is it's an exciting little adventure for us to move on through with our colleagues at this yeah, time. I'm looking forward to, to spending a little time with you and spending some time with our guests as we as we get at this. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun thing to do and I think people will really enjoy it. So calls to ministry, like these are words that I think lots of people get a little intimidated by and, you know, Andrew and I are both in the order of ministry inside the United Church. We're both ordained um, and the, we work with people who are 
uh, diaconal ministers, we work with people who are designated lay ministers, and we work with lay people who are offering ministry inside the church. So just inside there, you can already see, I think, Andrew, the, the variety of access and ways of serving the church and through serving the church, serve God. Yeah, I think, I think the title captures that. It's your call. It's not it's my call. It's your call. It's, it's a very individualized experience. Um, and, uh, the, the various guests that we have, I think we'll unpack that for people. Yeah. Yes, and I think the unpacking will really help people see that there is so many ways to serve in ministry. And even when you say you're in the ordained stream or you're in the diaconal stream or you're in the designated lay stream or you are a lay person serving the church, there's a myriad of ways inside that of even serving. Uh, the fact that you can be in rural Saskatchewan, you know, for uh, one ministry call and then move to the city is a very different experience. It's a very different ministry. We've got ministers who serve in uh, what we might classify as outreach ministries who work in our missions, who work in our indigenous communities, who work uh, in our hospitals. I, I think in some ways the list is endless of what you can do in ministry, Andrew. What do you think? Well, I, I think you raise a good point. And one of the important pieces that you raise is the fact that um, through our baptismal vows, we are all called to ministry. Um, and whether whether you end up in ordered ministry like you and I, or whether you stay in your congregation as a layperson um, serving um, your local community of faith, all of those have merit. And part of discerning uh, a call to ministry is discerning exactly where that call is located. And uh, so even though we're going to primarily be talking about entering into formal ministry, um, I just want to make it clear that all of us are called to ministry. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really strong point. If I, can I just share a quick story about that, Andrew? Uh, I remember when I was uh, mentoring someone in ministry or, or who was contemplating ministry, had seen my personal journey, which we'll talk about in a little while, into ministry. And they had been inspired by that. And when we sat down to talk, what actually started to come into being was that they were not called into the formal ministry that we're going to be talking about uh, primarily, but were, was called into a lay ministry. And now, in fact, actually have a real, this person actually has a really pivotal role inside one of our regions. And, but they do it as a lay person. And I want to hold that up as not being, you know, that ministry is not just about following a process that gets you into the formal ministry that we are in, but that there are pivotal people throughout our church who are lay people serving God. Yes, I, and I think the United Church clearly believes in the uh, old Protestant dictum, the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. We all have a role, a place, a ministry, a calling. And um, part of the candidacy pathway, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, is just to simply help people discern whether that all they feel um, and are beginning to discern is in fact a formal ministry or continued lay ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So 
We've called our podcast, It's Your Call. So Andrew, it's your call. How did you come into ministry? Tell me your story a little. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have um, 33 years of experience in, in ministry. So I'm, I'm remembering something that happened a long, long time ago. Um, I was a, um, one of those rare birds, uh, a cradle United Church person, um, um, went to church from the time I can remember uh, with my family. Uh, my grandfather was a minister. My uncle was a minister. Um, I don't think there was any expectation that I was going to be a minister. I, there was no pressure from my parents to do that. Um, but even at a young, as a young person, so I'm talking, I don't know, 13, 14, um, I felt uh, just a sense that the church and, and the formal uh, ministry was where I belonged and what I was called to do. Now at 13, I couldn't articulate that. I had no clue what that meant. Um, and, and then through confirmation classes, through uh, teaching Sunday school, through being an, an elder as a young person, even from delivering sermons when I was in high school, it became clear to me that uh, I, was, I was called to um, formal ministry. I had, I had good um, role models in ministry too, like ministers who I looked up to and felt that they embodied some of what I would understand ministry to be and what I would aspire to be. And so I went to university, um, I studied English and history, um, all the while feeling called to ministry, but not feeling any kind of pressure in it. Um, mm -hmm. just being open to the winds of the spirit. Um, and then I became, a, in those days, a, a, a candidate for ministry. And I remember going to the um, a conference interview board, which was a, a big uh, weekend uh, where, where you were interviewed and there was a psychological testing and you felt like you were under observation <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> And my not intimidating uh, at oh, all. Yes, exactly. My fellow candidates were all stressed and they were worried, and and I, I just never felt that. I always felt um, the church will affirm my call or not, and if not, I'll go to law school. I'd written my um, LSATs already. Um, I had some other options, um, and wherever I was called go would be fine with me. And so I went in feeling quite relaxed about the whole thing. Um, and in the end, the church affirmed my call. I became a candidate. I went to the theological college. I did a, two internships, one in the northern part of Saskatchewan, where I literally knew nothing. Like I, I was a blank slate. Um, and I had a wonderful lay supervisor. She was a, a a farmer along with her husband um, and they helped me understand uh, what ministry uh, is and what it wasn't. Yeah. And I had fun. Um, I was young. I was 23, I guess, probably. Um, and my second internship um, 
was uh, in India. So I've been overseas and, and worked in a development school. Um, another kind of adventure that uh, was intrinsic in my formation. And then I came back and finished up and was ordained. And all the while, feeling open to the call of the Spirit, feeling at any time I might feel some sense that this wasn't for me, that go and do something else. Uh, but all along the way, feeling affirmed and having other people tell me, yes, you're, you're called to this. This is what you need to learn. Um, but this is what you're, you're called to do. And so here I am 30 some years later, um, coming, winding things up uh, in my career. I think one of the interesting pieces as I'm listening to what you're saying, Andrew, is the sense of being open to the call. And and it's, you and I both know, because we work with a lot of candidates and, and we work with a lot of ministers, that there is a certain fear, tension, worry about coming into ministry. But what I really will like about what you're saying is that sense of even in there, you need to be open to this, what the Spirit is calling you to. I think that's a very powerful piece. And it's not something we talk a lot about. We don't talk in the United Church a lot about the Spirit being present in our lives. Um, we, we're, you know, as a church, we're very social justice oriented. We're very action oriented. But moving into that Spirit discernment, reflective piece might not be as comfortable for a lot of us. So I, I really love what you're saying about that openness. And maybe well, I, one day we'll have to have you inter have an interview with you just about your experience in India because we don't do those anymore. No, no, and, and that's that's a there's a loss when we don't have those overseas the option for the overseas uh, internship. One one of the things that I uh, I've always felt I guess is that um, it's not just my call, right? So I don't own it. Um, I, I only discern where God leads. Um, and that has always allowed me to deal, well, in some cases with disappointment, um, knowing that I'm called to something else, whatever it might be. And I also realized I came, I came from a very privileged background, upper, upper middle class. I had I did have lots of options, and and I was secure in those. So I I, I do understand that part of it. Um, but when we're working with students, some students own their calls so tightly uh, that if the church tells them, uh, well, maybe you're you're not called at this moment, that they they're crushed by that, and and that to me is always a shame and it's problematic. And as we've been saying right from the very beginning, our call can be so expansive, right? So let's search out what it really means to be called into the church to serve. So what about you, Karen? Um, you're, you're not originally from Canada, so your call must have been started somewhere else. Well, uh, actually, I, I just as, again, just as you were reflecting on your own story, Andrew, I, I was, again, so happy that you and I are doing this together. Yeah, me likewise. Uh, and part of it is is that our call stories are very different, and our backgrounds are very different. And both of our call stories, I think, I'm hoping will allow a place for people to kind of look and say or listen to us and say, "Yeah, that's me." You know, so 
you know, we've got, like you, cradle-born United Church folks, you know, born and raised there. And you've got people like me, uh, not raised in the United Church, not raised actually really in any church. But uh, I don't come from a family who were church orientated, but for some reason, as a child, I would take myself off to Sunday school. There was a, an outreach Sunday school from the uh, church in our small town uh, in the housing development that I lived in. So we, I was born and raised just outside Glasgow in a small town called Johnston. I didn't realize you were a Glaswegian. Oh, I'm not a Glaswegian. That's because I'm from Johnston. and the area I lived in was like many areas of uh, built in the 50s and 60s and 70s in the UK were developments that were created in order to house those who had been bombed out of their homes during the second world war Uh, and so we were in one of those housing developments and there's not much resources but the church the local churches brought youth groups and Sunday school and boys brigade and girls brigade and brownies and guides into those areas to give the kids something to do. So that was the Presbyterian church that was the Church of Scotland. So I so I joined the Church of Scotland like I became part of that group I went to youth group did Sunday school because the church was reaching out Um, but then like a lot of uh, teenagers when I was about 14 15 uh, I rejected the church and that kind of was manifested into what I did for my undergrad so I went to a very radical school f- to study politics economics and sociology and got an undergrads in social sciences with a speciality in public policy um, and when I say it was a radical school, my uh, economics professor was the treasurer of the Communist Party of Scotland. My mm. history professor was the chair of the Communist Party of Scotland. <laughs> and my, uh, so very radical. Karen the Red. Karen, yeah, they created Karen the Red. Um, so very radical, so very much a rejection of religion, Um And I had originally gone to become a social worker, which was a fairly high aspiration for uh, kids like me from my background. Uh, I'm very working class. My dad was a semi-skilled laborer in a factory. My mom worked in a store her whole life. And I I would say probably in some ways, my social justice aspects of my faith were radicalized by my dad being a stop a shop steward in a union um, by being someone who has experienced um, long-term unemployment in my household. So I was very radicalized as a teenager. Um, I marched, I went on uh, strikes, you know, with our student body stuff, you know, things like that. So very, very different in many ways from your background, Andrew. And then the, at one point um, in my, in the early days of my marriage, I kind of started thinking about, is there something beyond what I was experiencing in life? And when I had my daughter, so we had, I had my daughter over in Scotland and when Rebecca was born, I started to, 
kind of have those flashback memories of how much fun I, as a kid I'd had at all of those events that the church had put on. And then I started to think, you know, the only person or the only people who turned up into these housing estates and these kind of housing developments that we had all been, you know, kind of put into in that kind of post-war era in the 60s and 70s were, was the church. And so uh, we moved to Canada not long after that. And I found the United Church of Canada. Hmm. Started attending a local church and the got involved very quickly because I had done some youth work uh, as part of my studies. I uh, run some youth programming in some, uh, in a fairly hard up area around where I lived. I'd, I'd been a coordinator for summer programs. They'd asked me very quickly in the church, which I think is sometimes a lot of people's experience. You know, you turn up, you see, you can do something. Next thing I know, I was running the youth Sunday school program, then got involved in some adult education for myself so that I could keep one step ahead of the teens with their questions and felt a very strong call in that uh, adult education program towards a call to serve the church in leadership. And that call was being affirmed by those in my class in the Bible study class I was taking and by the ministers who were mentoring me at that time. And so I went to, I went to school uh, in my thirties and uh, trained for ordained ministry and uh, was ordained uh, in 2002. Well, it's interesting just listening to your story and and putting it beside mine and and how one's call is never well i would say never it's rarely a just a private thing mm. that that it's 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 about how how we are how the, how we experience church through others so in your case the the folks from the Presbyterian church who came to your neighborhood and engaged you where you were but also how um along the way um, mentors, uh, whether they're lay people or ministers or even outside the church, affirm things in us that, that then uh, match up with our own sense of what God's calling us to do. I think that's a really important piece. I think we, uh, and I think that's what I often hear in call stories when, when I'm asking people to tell me their call story. Uh, it seems like there's a trinity in that call story. There's the call from God. There's the internal call of the spirit moving inside ourselves. And then there's the call of the community. And I think when those three align, going back to your story, Andrew, that's where we can have that freedom to be open to both the, the joys and the disappointments of where the spirit leads. Because we feel that sense of connectedness between our own kind of internal struggle about what is it I'm being called to do in the world while hearing it you know in many ways from God and hearing it from the community speaking up saying we believe you're a leader we believe you need to be in ministry the other thing I think about in my own as I, I think about my own call was uh, I in, in some ways was secretly hoping that the church would say you wouldn't you're not going to be a suitable minister 
uh, it's not that I didn't I didn't feel called. It's just that I all my friends went on to become doctors and professors, and so I was a bit out of uh, sync with my peer group. And it took me a long time to just come to terms with the fact that this was what I was going to devote my life to. And I and I remember particularly when I went on my first pastoral charge, which was a little town in northern uh, New Brunswick in the middle of the woods that was smaller than my high school. And, uh, you know, thinking, is this what I'm called to do? Like, live here and do this? And, and as it unpacked and as it unfolded, um, there was just more and more affirmation that, yes, this is it. What mm-hmm. you're called to do. And those affirmations come in the strangest places, I think, as well. Just to say, tell another story. So, you know, we'll all get to learn that I'm a storyteller. I, I think stories are great ways of explaining what's happening. I, I put it down to the Celtic blood in, that runs through my veins. But I remember we, my, my partner and I, he, him and I were sitting discussing like the practical stuff of going to theological school, you know, fees transportation, et cetera. And we had come down to an, an idea that what I was gonna do was gonna go to school part-time. So, and, and schedule all, make sure that the classes I was taking were all scheduled so that I could drop my daughter off at school, drive to the school, which was an hour and a half away in, through Vancouver traffic, go to school, come home and pick her up again. So. I'm looking at like five to seven years before I'm graduating at this point. And we were sitting beside friends of ours in church one Sunday and they were asking, so how are the plans going? And we're waiting for the service to begin. And they said, so how are the plans going to get into school? And then I explained that we had come up with, like we found the solution. Like I was going to go part-time. It was going to take about five to seven years, but I would be able to be at home uh, and do the pickup and drop off for my daughter for school. And we go through the worship service, we go through coffee hour, and at the end of coffee hour, this family came up to us, these friends who'd been sitting with us came up to us and they said, we think you should go full time to school. And I said, well, that would be great, but... (laughs) We've got this small person who who doesn't have a lot of, you know, choice around what's happening here, who we've got, I've got to look after. And they said, no, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to take your daughter. uh, We're going to have her come and homestay with us during the day while you're at school. So we'll make so you drop her off on your way to school and we'll take her to and from school. And we'll take her to piano lessons and we'll take her to dance class and all of those things that she needed between you know me dropping her off and actually then her dad picking her up because of oh. the way our school were and and that just felt such an affirmation mm-hmm. of the community to call. Well that I mean just hearing that um and thinking about the all stories and situations of a lot of the candidates that, that I talked to, I realized how uncomplicated my entry into ministry was. I, I was single, I was young, I, I didn't have any financial issues, I didn't have any responsibilities actually. And so it was just really about me. Um, I didn't even have a partner at the time. 
Uh, so I could go anywhere, do anything, and even if it went sour, I wouldn't. I would have learned something and gone on to do something else. But in your case, and in, and in lots of our candidates' cases, uh, it really costs them something to fulfill uh, and uh, execute the, uh, the the God's call to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm impressed by that. Yeah, I think. You know, I mean, and I see a mix of both in candidates I'm working with. You know, I see the ones who are single, who are who are in their 20s, who maybe have a little more freedom. Although I think there's more restrictions on them financially now entering into ministry than maybe you experienced. Uh, but yeah, I see a lot of people who, or I see bits of my own story in there and say, and being able to walk with them on that and say, you know, are you really looking at community? Are you searching inside the community for support? Which I think for me, and we're gonna talk about this, hopefully with Jen Jensen Ball in a few weeks around the actual pathway process. We're gonna talk about some of these pieces. And one piece for me is the circle of accompaniment that we've introduced into the pathway, how that circle can be those people. If I think about what my circle would have looked like when I was going through the process, because we didn't have those back then, you know, this family would have been part of the circle because they were such an integral part of caring for my family so that I could do the work that God was calling me to. And what was really beautiful was them seeing it as a call from God as well. That was the conversation. They saw it as a call. They were not, a, you know, this was not a family who did daycare or homestay for people, but they saw this as part of the call from God for them to serve the church. Mm. And again, it's that piece of there are many ways for us to serve, regardless mm. of whether it's in the ordered stream, diagonal stream, you know, DLM, it, it doesn't really matter lay folks are the, if there's no lay people Andrew you and I don't have jobs yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know and yeah. so that ministry of all the you know the priesthood of all believers that you said earlier um, it's also it's also interesting to me um, so when a, a potential candidate comes toward a candidate to a candidacy board one of the things that standardly gets asked is uh, what is your sense of call and so we ask it at the very front end of the journey yeah. and we're looking for clarity and we're looking for some actual connection to the, to the role of minister and, 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 and so on. But once, once they're ordained or commissioned or recognized, we, we never talk about call in their career again. And, and, and like our, uh, we work for the office of vocation, which suggests to me that uh, a sense of call is something that ought to be on the table, that we ought to be talking about, encouraging that discernment that goes with that um, throughout our vocation. What okay. kind of ministry are you called to? Uh, what congregation or community of faith are you called to? You know, what what particular aspects of ministry are you called to? So, so I think um, you know one of the things I've learned is that our, our call begins. Um, in such a basic way, uh, follows us all the way through our, our, our career in ministry, our vocation. Yeah, and I think that's a really important piece. 
and you know, for those who hopefully are listening who maybe are already in ministry, to say, you know, like discernment and reflection on call is a really important practice throughout ministry. It helps us maintain our love for the ministry, I think, as well. And and it also means that we're in the right place serving at the church at the right time. And so I'm hoping as, as time goes past, we'll actually maybe even have some folks who are in some of those streams who have been there for a little while, who come and talk to us and talk about discernment and ministry five, 10 years down the line. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, again, just thinking personally, so here I am coming toward the end of my paid ministry, at least, and I can look back at ministry and feel like I was where I was supposed to be. And I'm not cynical and angry and beat up and hurt and worn out by ministry, um, despite, you know, bad board chairs and, and you know, petty fights and all the rest of the things that go with congregational life. I, I served with good and faithful people overall. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoyed and always felt uh, called to ministry. And the call, my call to ministry was stronger than all of the other kinds of things that mitigate against uh, our work as, as ministers. Yeah. And I think keeping focus on on it as a call to ministry, as a as a vocation, helps helps with all of those pieces, right? I, I resonate with what you're saying. You know, knowing that despite everything that that's grumbling away in the background, maybe when you're when we've been in mini pastoral ministry or even the ministry of administration, which is what we do now, that that God is still calling because I'm staying in that open space for the spirit to, to nourish me. And so again, that's something we're going to look at is how do we maintain that openness? You know, our hope is to have a podcast about maintaining that openness through nourishment as we talk about discernment and uh, spiritual gifts and spiritual disciplines that help us maintain that openness to the presence of God in our lives, moving and changing us and helping us to stay focused on that idea, that, that lovely sentence that we're serving, we're serving good and faithful people mm. who, who are being served by broken people and who are broken people. And I think, I think, I think you're right. And I think just as both of us needed the affirmation of, and I don't mean that in a shallow way, I mean, an affirming of our call, not just our egos, we need that along the way to sustain us. In I, I, I couldn't have imagined when I was 23 and entering ministry, I couldn't have imagined how difficult and exhausting and tiring and demanding the work was. Mm -hmm. At 23, you don't think that of any work. Um, and maybe ministry is no, no different than any other job. But, but I think it has its own particularities that make it uh, hard or it's, it's, it's societally difficult, it's culturally difficult. It's, you know, we're, we're shrinking in our influence and in our 
um, volunteer base. And what gets you, what got me through that was the folks in the congregation who said, yeah, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, we, think you, we think this is where you should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and on, the, on the flip side of that is that that is where all the joy sits. Mm-hmm. right that's where the joy of ministry sits you know if somebody had told me a year after I got ordained that I would be evacuate working to evacuate my small town that I'd been you know the small town in, in northern or sorry central BC that I was working in that we were being evacuated uh, for forest fires and that you know our town of less than 3,000 people had all packed up and we were heading to well, we didn't really know where at that point, but heading to an evacuation center, you know, that, that being, being a minister in the midst of that was, was both exhausting, terrifying, you know, depleting of my resources, both, you know, both physically and mentally. And yet on the complete opposite side of that was also the fact that and again, it's not about that ego piece. It's about that kind of affirmation that I was the right person in the right place at the right time, holding up community, mm. going through something so horrible. Mm. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that had I gone into another line of work. I mean, I was in sales before I did this. You know, I, yeah, I worked- Different kind of sales. <laughs> so, so I said, I sell God now. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm selling God, I think- God sells God's self through me, maybe, but, uh, you know, I think we touch into people's lives in a very different way when we're in ministry. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we're, we're privileged, uh, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, um, to be part of people's lives in a, in a deep way that very few people are, are privileged enough to, to do that and um, i think i think it's hard to explain to people that one of the great privileges of life is to sit at the deathbed of someone mm-hmm. you know and not very many people are trained and equipped to do that and yet that's what we're going to do with these inquirers and candidates we're going to equip them to be in those most sacred places of people's lives and that's, that's a beautiful piece of being called to ministry. I think that's, that's the heart of call in many ways. And so when we're answering that call, that's really what we're answering the call into. Um, it's so not a pastoral ministry. That's true. Yeah. In pastoral ministry, I think that's true. But also when I think about, you know, the outreach ministry I've been involved in when I worked in the downtown church, you know, being, you're still called into those places, you know, mm-hmm. or it might be done through feeding someone or helping some advocating for someone uh, in the, in the system so that they can access the services they need. But again, it feels like a sacred call into their life. They have trusted us. They've made themselves vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I will say working with folks who are marginalized and end up living on our streets that's uh getting that level of trust was amazing Mm -hmm. Uh, because they don't trust anybody you know there's there's like it's hard to trust the system 
right? Yeah. And so when they turn to us and trust us to do things. So I think there's such a complexity of being called into the sacredness of people's lives that doesn't matter what form of ministry you're doing, whether it's working in a hospital or working in our armed forces or working in a pastoral charge, regardless of its size, or working in some outreach ministry, or working with our international partners, we are being called into the sacredness of people's lives. And that's that's a hard call to resist. Mm. And I think at the end of the day, like, I feel like I'm a better person and a better and more faithful Christian for having served with the folks that I served with over 30 some odd years like all of those people in one way or another taught me things about God about faith about the world about myself that have made me a better person than I can. so I can't imagine that wisdom that I received um, which in which in a way also affirms my sense of call mm -hmm. I can't imagine what kind of a person I would be without that yeah yeah, we're, we're shaped and formed um, by all of those people we've worked with and interacted mm -hmm. with. You know, it reminds me of that piece um, of uh, where uh, in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is talking about the potter forming, you know, from the clay, forming the pot and, and how God is like the potter forming us. And that it's not just kind of the hand of God forming us, but it's because I understand God to be more, you know, to be kind of in, in represented in the world by everybody, that all these people are forming me, they're making me into who I am. And I'm hoping making me into a better person, mm -hmm. you know, because they have so much to bring to, to me, um, which I think in some ways is a bit of a different model from ministry than maybe mi ministers from, I certainly ministers I've experienced in maybe a, a negative way who came from a model where the minister was seen as someone who was always right, always perfect, you know, the only one who had the answers. And that's a tough form of ministry. That's a tough model of ministry to live with. Mm -hmm. And so I like what you're saying as kind of the sense that we are in it together with our folks and we're shaping and forming each other. So I think that might be a good place to... Mm -hmm an end to this episode and I really appreciate it uh, hearing your story and we've worked together for three years I don't think I've ever heard that part of uh, your life uh, it's been instructive to me and I, I appreciate you sharing it well and thanks to you too Andrew it's been great to share and to get to know you that's one of the joys of this is that we'll get to know one another better over these podcasts and we'll get to know some of our colleagues we'll get to know some of our candidates in ways that we don't get time to normally do so this is a, a wonderful time uh, together so from karen medland and andrew richardson and it at it's your call we will sign off for today thanks very much folks take care everyone Thanks for listening to It's Your Call. For more information about ministry and leadership in the United Church of Canada, please go to www.united-church.ca leadership or visit the link in the episode description.